You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariable, invariably to the same object, invents a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter the former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. I read the Declaration of Independence again this past week, and uh, I would invite you to do the same. It will be in the show notes. It will also be on our website at wearelibertarians.com. And because I've been thinking a lot about the original promises of this country. Martin Luther King Jr., I think one of the most brilliant um, pieces of messaging that he had in convincing white America, especially, that they needed to walk with Southern uh, black Americans of all types, uh, of all regions, I should say, um, invoked the promises of the original founding. And I think that we should go back to some of those. And, and I'd ask you to read the declaration in full and see how much first are we living up to those original promises? And also how many of those uh, the king has, the king has, the king has, uh, how many of those do we identify with now? For instance, going to the end, this is especially appropriate today. 
after the president's speech. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny. Already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. Uh, as you read through, you, you see that the founders were appalled with the lack of security, with the lack of justice, with the lack of um, rights that they had been granted by King George. And this is a list of, of a long train of abuses, as they, as they say. I feel like the last three months have been every single identity group in this country waking up to the long train of abuses. And I think the most dangerous thing for this country is for people of different identities, different tribes, I guess, if you want to call it, the people that are supposed to divide against each other, the most dangerous thing for the government for the police, for your mayor, for your congressman, and for your president, is for people to take down divisions, appreciate differences, and start working together to establish true liberty for every single American. Divisions are things that we build. We build walls. We build fences. We build divisions by choice to keep certain people away from us. And each one of us choose certain divisions because it's easy to fall into our identity groups and see other people as others. The police, uh, I, I am skeptical of political power. So, of course, I see the police as an enemy of the people. But as we'll, we'll see tonight, as I lay out some of the facts that I want to uh, lay before you, um, not all cops are bad. And not all cops are good. And in these protests, there are a lot of protests who are fighting for liberty. They are fighting for the full promises of the Declaration of Independence. And I fully stand with them. And then there are people who are not. <laughs> they're violent. They're opportunists. They're criminals. There are criminal police officers in these riots. There are good police officers. There are good protesters. There are bad looters. Uh, and we are a nation of 370 million individuals. But because the human brain is so prehistoric still, and we are still the same animal that we were uh, 10,000 years ago, we have to continue to divide people, tr join tribes, and make enemies of each other. And as we centralize the government and as we make the federal government bigger, especially as we homogenize the media, they have less resources. They're more constrained. They report the same things. You see the the you remember the Salem news outlets, how they all had across the country, the same news report coming across public opinion becomes to homogenize as well. And so. We've now let ourselves believe the lie that there are only two options in this country. And I don't think that that's true. And that's what We're Libertarians is about. We are here to reject tribalism and really isms of all sorts. 
growing the the size of the central state in socialism. We are uh, we are against racism. We are against most isms because what that does is that divides people. It's a choice to divide. And I want to go through some of the things that I found over the course of the last few days through these protests, both the good and the bad, and give you my perspective on them and, and try to bring some clarity to the mess that is taking place across the country. So uh, if you're new, my name is Chris Spangle. I am the host of We Are Libertarians. It's just me tonight. I did not plan to do a show. I watched the president's speech tonight, which we will play in full later, and it pissed me off. And I just couldn't go to bed until I did this. So, <laughs> uh, But we've got a lot of video and we're going to share some of that with you. But uh, I want to I, w- I first want to tell you where I'm coming from. And I think the words of the declaration, the original promises of this country are, are truly where I begin. So when I look at the killing of George Floyd, I see the state oppressing. It's difficult because people don't want to listen because they don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about issues of racial injustice. And so when somebody like George Floyd is killed, there is about a 24 hour span where everybody is properly horrified by what's happening. And then they start to find their reasons to be distracted by it. Well, this person was, you know, now now it's maybe had drugs in his system or, you know, that why was he out going to the to the store anyways? Uh, Why it's I think George Floyd has resonated so deeply is because there's so few outs, especially for white America. Uh, The the he was a seemingly good man who just had had was struggling to get his life together. He had two two days before, like made a video about, um, you know, what, I don't know. My point is, is that there's always, there's always an out on some of this stuff. And we see the protest and then the protest became the thing that we talk about, or people flee to uh, stances of indifference by saying things like whites get killed too, just true, there are more white people that get killed in police shootings than black people, but that's because we're a majority. But the percentage of the population, blacks get killed by cops twice as much as whites. You know, they say, what about Chicago and black on black crime? It's almost become a, a, at this point, like if you hear that, you know exactly what the person is saying. It's, it's like a dog whistle. Uh, you know, I, I'm not interested in talking about what the protesters are talking about because there's looters. You know, they lump all the protesters in with all the looters. But I think what we have to understand is that, um, you know, my experience in America is different than my friends on the Pat Down and, and Miss Pat or Dion or, you know, Harry, my co-host here. And the more you talk to them about their experiences, you start to hear the differences of my life versus their life. Uh, and I was talking to a friend today and, uh, you know, and I know that I can't understand the experience uh, fully because I am a white male and I grew up 
I grew up privileged. I had a good life. I had a good childhood. I have a good life now. Uh, you know, the, the most oppression that I have suffered over, over the last 10 years was the last three months when I couldn't get my hair cut. And, uh, you know, this friend and I were talking today and um, he said, why are people paying attention more now? And I said, I think because whites suffered, the middle class American, people like me who grew up in Plainfield, Indiana, that was 98% white. I didn't grow up in a race, race, uh, race baiting household. I didn't grow up with racist parents. I had parents that intentionally, you know, they wanted us. There wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of opportunity to go out into the world and, and experience black culture, right? The closest we got was buying M&M records and, and NWA, you know, but if, if you said anything growing up, if you heard anything racist, my parents would go out of their way to correct it. You know, it was very important in my public schools that diversity was embraced, that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that you don't grow up separated from what life is like for a lot of people in this country uh, that don't look like you because there is a presumption of, uh, of guilt. I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to have a mindset. A lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is mindsets is deeply entrenched generation, generational mindsets, you know, first and foremost political power. But when, uh, you know, when you grow up in a town that's 98% white, you tend to just think and, and you turn on the TV and cult, the culture is white. Like you tend to go, well, this is the world, right? And it, when I read Miss Pat's book, Rabbit, uh, I was just blown away. I mean, I read it three years ago and I couldn't believe that there was experiences in this country that look like third world experiences I had read about. You know, it was truly eye opening. Uh, and then I read a book called The New Jim Crow. And it shows you the system of laws, the, the Byzantine system of laws that exist to keep black Americans from the promise that we read at the beginning of the show in the, in the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, I have a right to be comfortable, right? Like, I, I, my, my privilege is that I'm comfortable. And if I get in trouble, I can hire a lawyer. And my experience with the criminal justice system is different than most people. If I had paid with a counterfeit $20 bill at the place that George Floyd had paid with a $20 bill, do you think that they would have called the cops? Maybe. And if they had and the cops showed up, do you think that they would treat me differently than they had treated George Floyd? Yeah, they would treat me differently. Now, that doesn't mean that... I'm treated well by police. I had a I had an officer draw his weapon on me a year, year and a half ago. It's the first time it ever happened to me. He treated me like a dehumanized criminal. So it's differences of degrees. And I think what we tend to do to avoid uncomfortable conversations is try to flatten the arguments and make it a binary choice. And you have to be on one side or the other. Instead of looking at things like it's differences of degrees. So is political power a problem in America for every person in the United States? Is it more of a problem for people of color than it is for white Americans? Yes. And so the response should be, let's expand liberty to 
have an equal experience across the board for everyone. I, I don't understand the need to knee jerk run away from this conversation at all, because especially if you're a libertarian and you care about state power, there's a group of people, black Americans that have, have existed in America with the state's boot on their neck from the very moment they set foot on this continent. And it's only incrementally gotten better. It is certainly not as good as the majority of us have it. And so to look away and side with political power with the government, I don't get it. You know, our, our Instagram is just full of people. Oh, you're just race baiting. You're buying into the narrative. No, I'm supporting freedom. I'm supporting liberty. I'm supporting humanity. I'm saying there's a group of people in this country that the state has dehumanized, that society is dehumanizing. And it's up to me to recognize that I share some responsibility in correcting that. Because of the concept of in-groups and out-groups, right? So if Nancy Pelosi criticizes Donald Trump, that's not that powerful. You expect Nancy Pelosi to criticize Donald Trump. She's in the out-group from Donald Trump's in-group. But if Stephen Miller or Steve Bannon or Rand Paul criticizes Donald Trump, it has more impact because they're in his in-group. He is more he he picked up the phone, talked to Senator Tim Scott, a black Republican from South Carolina. And he, according to Senator Scott yesterday, said he would moderate his tone on Twitter because he would talk to Tim Scott. Now, would he talk to Maxine Waters on the phone? Probably not, because she's on the out group. She's going to criticize him. But because Tim Scott's on the in group, he's going to listen to him. And so a lot of the conversation that is taking place uh, needs to. You have to have the courage to speak out. You have to have to start talking about this stuff. Some of this stuff is very awkward to talk about. It was very awkward for me and still is to talk about racial issues. Uh you know, I've gotten a lot of practice on the Pat Down podcast, uh, and that's been great for me because I'm I'm in a situation where I now have black friends in the in group that are forcing me to have these conversations with them and work through things with them. And I say things to people like Miss Pat. I go, "You shouldn't phrase it that way. You're going to lose the trust of the people that are listening to you if you phrase it this way." You know, and she says the same thing to me. And we also learn like what is offensive and what is okay. Like, where are the edges on things? You know, I'm much more comfortable making a joke now to her than I was a year ago, right? Because we've learned to trust each other. And trust is just such a key part of all of this. So when we go through what we went through two months ago where you have conservative lockdown protesters out there talking about their rights and 80% of this country shrugged and they were mocked by people of color, you know, going, you know, Miss Pat was like, fuck them. And I'm like, why would you say that? Like you guys are kind of on the same side in terms of some things and this and that. And she's like, cause they don't care about our issues when it's our time, when it's black lives matter marching in the street, where are those protesters? Where are those guys in Michigan with the guns marching with us when it comes time? You know, and I was just like, 
exactly right. You know, and so I think the juxtaposition of what happened during the lockdowns and what is happening now, where everybody's kind of flip flop sides. I think there's a large group of people in the middle who are kind of going, man, the experience that I had a few months ago, like, all right, why are people more in tune with the Black Lives Matter message? Why are white people specifically conservatives are messaging me going, what book should I read? Well, how do I get, you know, people that would be on the, I'm not going to listen because there's looters side are now going, what book should I read about racial injustices? How do I, how do I end qualified immunity? I'm ready to go. How do I do this? I want to start the conversation. And I think that that change is twofold. I think first, the Floyd George incident where the cop sat on his neck for nine minutes is so irrefutable and there's no out and it's just egregious. And they're, you know, the president, cops, police chiefs across the nation are denouncing like everybody just goes, this is beyond the pale. Uh, It was on video. Everybody saw it. And second, I think a lot of people for the first time in their lives, you know, as a white middle class comfortable American. There have been two moments in my life where I was deeply and I'm not talking about like on a personal level, but just like on a global level, right? 9-11 and the lockdowns and the, and the quarantines and the, and the pandemic are the only two times in my life where I felt deep insecurity about my place in this country, about my economic position, about the role of the size and power of government and the individual like that insecurity I think was very powerful in conditioning a lot of people who would otherwise go, Oh, not another Trayvon Martin thing. We got to go through this again. No, I think a lot of people are going, Nope. I just experienced that two months ago. That was horrible. Now I get when I see, when I hear fuck the police by NWA, I get it. I think it has an effect. People start to identify because people are experiential, right? They don't, they don't truly connect with something until they experience something. And so when you experience economic insecurity of the level that we've had over the last couple months, you experience your business being closed down. You experience curfews. You experience being quarantined. You experience the state treating you a certain way and then your black friend goes yeah that's me every day for the last 35 years and you go what go yeah oh shit that's terrible so i think we're in a place in america where people are a lot more ready to listen if we all kind of choose to start talking to each other but i think it's honestly going to take a lot more humility on the right and on on the white side and being more uncomfortable because you don't have to. The reason is you don't have to. You don't have to make a change. Like you don't have to go talk to your to, to your you don't you probably don't even have black friends. You wouldn't even know where to start. Because you're not willing to confront the issues that are being talked about. You know, and we can all sit here and go, oh, we didn't know. Go listen to 1988's Fuck the Police. Go watch, go listen to any Kaepernick kneeling. You know, oh, why are, why can't they peacefully protest? They've been peacefully protesting for decades. But you go through it for approximately seven weeks and lose your shit, you know? And, and so I wrote this and, and I mean it. Like, I have to ask those that supported lockdown protesters, but not the peaceful demonstrators in the streets this question. 
If lockdowns had continued for not just one month, but decade after decade, would you be angry at being ignored? Would you feel rage at the 80% of the country that did not support you, that mocked you and dismissed you, and at, and at a government that refused to listen? How would that rage be expressed? So, you know, the... I've come to appreciate the lockdown protesters a lot more over the last week or two uh, and, and protesting in general, to be quite honest. Uh, I, I know I've said this before, but I generally think that protests are a waste of time, that it's foolish, uh, that uh, all it does is it's just it, it, it attracts grifters. You have the first protest, which is so well-meaning. And then it ends up just being co-opted by a bunch of hucksters who want to come in and take it over, you know, and left leaning, the, the left leaning protests are usually, they end up kind of in violent looting and, and uh, you know, if they're big protests, it's, I don't, I don't know. I hate it for the right. You have this terrible perception, you know, you get guys showing up the Capitol with guns and then everybody calls you a kook. And so it just never works out. It's It never gets its message across. But now that I've thought more about it, I don't think that Eric Holcomb here in Indiana would have lifted that curfew as quickly had it not been for those protesters putting pressure on him. You're not going to get an end to qualified immunity or a diminishing of the police unions or real real chances at reform if it weren't for the people in the streets right now. So I, I'm kind of softening my stance on protesting because I've, I've really thought a lot about it. Um, you know, it, it is funny to see the media, how, how they covered those conservative protests two months ago, which is total disdain and they're not protesting. And I'll be honest, I did it too. You know, at that point you didn't know what the virus was. You didn't know how bad it might be. I think at this point, when you look at that particular protest where 500 people showed up to the state house, and there wasn't one case of COVID that came out of that, or you look at the uh, Cass County pork plant here where 1,500 people got it, nothing came out of that. You know, it's it, it's it's a different thing in June than it was in March. Uh, but you know, they're also not covering it the same way. I haven't seen one desperate agonizing think piece about how these protesters are not socially distancing like we did with the, the you know the violence of the michigan protests and there was some terrible imagery in there and there and that's the problem with protest it always draws out the kooks you have a protest for conservative causes it brings out racists there's no doubt about it it brings out klansmen uh it brings out people with nooses uh and that's what gets reported. You know, if you have a protest like a like one of these Black Lives Matter protests, you get 99% of the crowd or 95% of the crowd is there to protest peacefully with their signs and to make a difference. And then there's 5% of the jerks. It's just, it's human nature. So, but it is interesting how uh, these protests are, you know, have the force of morality behind them, according to CNN versus... Uh, the, the conservative protests. And I will say, uh, shout out to Reinhold, who should be here, but I told no one that I was doing this. Um, it, he, he said, check out CBS, because Pluto TV, if you don't have cable, Pluto TV has a bunch of news channels now. So I was watching that, and I've watched a bunch of coverage of these riots over the last week and, and everything. 
And, you know, and then I flip back to CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, and then I flip back to NBC and CB, uh, to CBS on Pluto. You get just straight news coverage on CBS on Pluto, but then you flip from, from there to CNN and it's just straight editorializing. You know, this is just a magnificent display of the things that I believe in. <laughs> so, uh, so be sure to check that out. So, uh, I'm, I'm probably much more eloquent in my writing because I can sit and think about it, which you can find at weirdlibertarians.com. Uh, then I am here at the end of my day talking to you about things, but, uh, I, I first want to talk about the police because I had an exchange with a high school friend on Instagram today who is a police officer. And, uh, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You know, I was driving downtown a couple nights ago. I think it was Saturday night. And we'd had one night of rioting here in Indianapolis. And I'm going to call it rioting because there's a difference. Because there's protesting during the day and then there's rioting at night. And I'll explain why I make that distinction later. And I saw about half a dozen police officers, you know, putting on body armor and having just this concerned look on their face. And I just thought, man, that would suck. That would be terrible. Like, to be that guy. You know what I mean? Like the protesters or the, the rioters, I will say out of respect for the protesters, uh, the rioters who show up at 10 or 11 at night, which I'll show you some video of here in Indianapolis, you know, they're the ones that are making sort of the proactive offensive moves and, and the cops here, at least in against the rioters are making defensive news moves. Now against the protesters, the IMPD are making offensive moves, which I'll also show you. It's very complicated, right? So there's a lot of nuance. So like, I can't do this in 15 minutes and give you a, a neat little package and say, all protesters are good and all cops are bad or all protesters are looters and all cops are good. Like, the problem with wanting to do what I want to do in the way that I want to do it is that I want to bring you um, nuance and bring empathy into the discussion and try to understand people's personal motivations and rationalizations. And that doesn't mean that everything's in a nice, neat little bow. So sometimes people come across very confused. Are you a liberal? Do you support Republicans? Do you support Democrats? I support liberty. I support libertarianism. I support an ideology that is rooted in empathy and rooted in the golden rule and rooted in nonviolence. And so if a protester is out trying to gain more rights for themselves, I'm with that person. And if a person wants to come and destroy someone else's property, I'm against that individual. But I don't want to lump them all into one group. And the same with cops. There are police officers who are who are are not wanting to be out there beating the crap out of people, but there are some psychos too. I watch, you know, I was watching CNN 
a couple nights ago, and I don't think LAPD knew that they were on CNN, just raw, running the footage, and there was a woman standing there with a camera, and then all of a sudden, Officer Phillips, because they have their names across the back, just started beating the hell out of her with a baton because she didn't move. She was in his way and just started beating her. I mean, it was really unbelievable what he did to this woman, and it was all caught on TV. You know, that's a person who should be fired. Uh, it, and so there's there's no like this is the problem with the way that our society is being set up we're trying to make the world bigger we're trying to centralize government we're trying to ask the federal government to do more we're trying to save money on what news we watch so we we go to the biggest news outlet we go watch CNN and then you know we want the president to take care of it we want them to do it and we are the problem by the way and, and so on CNN, they have limited time, and so they're not giving you nuance. And then you get mad at CNN because they're not giving you enough nuance, and then you don't go and support. I'm not going to read that article. It's too long. Or I'm not going to listen to that podcast. It's two hours. Or I'm not. It just, it's, it's irritating. Um, but here are my foundational beliefs about police. Police are the vanguard of state power. And what that means is that they're at the very tip. And so... Every single law passed by the government has to be enforced by police officers because without police officers, a politician is just a person with a bad opinion. So police officers, first and foremost, have to uphold the basic rights found in the Constitution. And, you know, I was listening to Ben Shapiro today say the police are there to protect all of us. Well, I don't agree with that. I I don't think that uh, they have the ability to do that, clearly. Uh, just as we saw during the pandemic, the government can't save you. The government is too big. The government, even on local levels, can't save you. The best they can do in a financial crisis is $1,200. The best they can do in a riot is maybe half your store will be there. <laughs> like The government cannot save you. If, you. if you're under the illusion that the federal government, the state government, or the local government can solve your problems, you are wrong. And so I'm partly libertarian because of the philosophical stance of don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, and don't use government to enforce your political opinions on other people. But I'm also a libertarian because of the utilitarian argument. You know, it's called Hayek's knowledge problem. There is not one person who can be president because he cannot understand all of the knowledge he needs to make the decision for all of the people in the country. You know, the, the utilitarian argument against our current system is that it doesn't function. It doesn't work. It's too big. It's too cumbersome. It's too bloated. Bureaucracy is cold and and it's heartless. And so... What are the police really supposed to do? They're there to protect the rights of the person that they're arresting. And so the problem with the arrest is that that officer and the four that watched didn't respect George Floyd's right to life. And they really didn't seem to have a problem with the fact that the man, a middle-aged man, is calling out for his mom. I think, I mean, to me, that would be... Like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, 30 seconds, nine minutes, you've got your knee on his neck. And so, you know, we've allowed our politicians and our media and our police officers to think that they're there to protect all of society. But 
they don't have a duty. When you call 911, there's no responsibility to show up. The Supreme Court says that police officers have no duty to respond to your 911 call. They don't have to show up. You know, when my tires got stolen off of my car here, they didn't investigate that theft. They said, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, we'll make a police report for your insurance. They're almost non-functional. You know, they're so non-functional in L.A. that everywhere you go, there's private security. In places like In-N-Out Burger, they have a private security guard because LAPD has so much to do because there are so many laws and so many regulations and so much territory because everybody in the council and the police department and the mayor's office was trying to centralize their power that the police became non-functional for the citizens they serve. And so everybody has to not only pay taxes for the police, but also for private security. And so, you know, that does several things. That means that police officers no longer have the time for community policing. They no longer have time to get to know the people in their community. It means they're going from run to run to run to enforce the multitude of new laws that we're passing every day. And so what happens? You know, I was going to be a police officer. I actually took a ride along in high school to be a police officer. Um, recently, uh, I was called by Peter Quinones, sorry, Vance Raider, that I was, he's called me a cop. Uh, he's, he, and then Raylene Lightheart of Blast Off said if the evidence fits. <laughs> so screw you both. Uh, but I went on a ride along with this guy. Was, his name is Brian. He was uh, an eight year veteran of the Plainfield Police Force. And I spent the day riding along with him in high school. And he told me, he goes, listen, something happens about 15 years into the job. And you you spend, and these are his words, 90% of your time around the bottom 10% rung of society. And so after about 15 years, because of conditioning, 90% of the population looks like that 10%. And so they start to see everybody as a criminal and not a person. Because they're going from run to run to run to run. You know, because the nature of bureaucracy is the reason that government doesn't work is that it's all administered through bureaucracies. And so bureaucracies, you have these multiple departments trying to fight for a limited number of budget. And so they don't get funding for everything they need to do, but then they're added on work. It's like, you're not getting any more money. We're going to take 25% of your pay, but add two full-time jobs. And then you're, you, why aren't you being effective at your job? And so part of the dysfunction, a large part of the dysfunction in police departments is council members and mayors and town councils. Uh, because these guys run for the endorsement of the FOP, the, the Fraternal Order of Police endorsement or the Police Union endorsement. And then when they get in an office, they want to keep it. Because in a place like Indianapolis, if you get the FOP endorsement, you get the, you, you win the mayor's office. Mayor Ballard won it in 2007. That was a big reason he had an upset victory against Bart Peterson, along with property taxes. So, you know, it is, it is important that they pass legislation to keep that endorsement because that means so much to the public. Again, it goes back to us. If we didn't put so much stock in the FOP's endorsement, then they wouldn't fight so hard for it. And so what, what is happening with a lot of police officers is happening with a lot of uh, teachers too, and a lot of government folks. 
you know, I am PD officers right now feel completely abandoned by the governor. They feel completely abandoned by the mayor. They feel completely abandoned by the council. These guys are not out there doing anything to help them. They're just being sent out into the streets. The police department's handling everything. There's no additional resources that I can see coming from any, you know, there's no leadership. The mayor's not out there talking to protesters. The mayor's not out there calling other agencies. He's not trying to calm any fears. He's not doing anything that I can see here in Indianapolis. Uh, and so the cops feel totally abandoned. They feel under-resourced. They're taking all of the shit from the public. They're taking all the insults from the. And so what do they walk away from this situation with? A worse attitude towards the public. Now, uh, here's what I'd say to you, you police officers. Quit. Quit doing your job. Don't be complicit in it. Because a bureaucratic state has one flaw, and it refuses to hold its own accountable. And so, you know, we... Government is a monopoly on force. And it uses its power to absolve itself of wrongdoing. And, you know, we have gotten away from any system of accountability. And this police officer friend of mine said, you know, this is a system that holds everybody that is committing a crime accountable. It holds everybody, but only police officers are accountable, basically, is what he was saying. And he's sort of right in, in this situation is that, yeah, public opinion is not with these looters. But they're kind of on their own here in the local police department. Um, but who's going to hold the mayor accountable, right? Who's going to hold any of these guys accountable? Like what happened in Minnesota, why the autopsy, you see the autopsy of George Floyd popping up, is that the state basically is doing an autopsy and it and it's showing drug use and it's showing heart attack and it's showing all kinds of bullshit. And then there was a private autopsy that showed asphyxiation, basically strangulation. And so the coroner is basically setting up a, a reasonable doubt defense on behalf of the cop. Well, the you know, most of these police officers get off on all these shootings. That's part of the reason why everybody's so pissed. The system protects itself. Like you look at impeachment. Donald Trump violated his constitutional duties. And should have been impeached for what he was impeached for. Now, I don't think that it was worth the time because he was always going to be acquitted. It was sort of a political sideshow. But at the end of the day, it wasn't for impeachment because impeachment doesn't work. From the top to the bottom of the political system, nobody's being held accountable anymore. And so who is in charge of correcting that imbalance right it's us it's the public and we've checked out to watch sports we've checked out to watch hgtv we've checked out to go participate in consumer culture we're not holding any of these people accountable and that's what dion said to me he goes you know people keep asking me how can i change this system i don't know i've i'm trying and i'm not getting anywhere it is the responsibility of the public to hold the system accountable And they're not doing it. It's the majority of this country, whites, that have to correct these imbalances. And we're not doing it. We're we're going back the blue, back the blue. 
we're using patriotism basically to let all these people off the hook, you know, and uh, my last name is Spangle. So like I grew up jingoistic. I grew up very patriotic, trust me. But like the whole, all, all teachers are heroes. All cops are heroes. It's just all kind of bullshit to be honest. You know, it's, it's collectivism and patriotism basically in history has been used to manipulate well-meaning citizens like you listening or watching at home into letting power off the hook. You know, Donald Trump is a master at this. And so as an individualist, I completely reject that patriotism is collectivism and it becomes nefarious when it's used to support moral and ethical violations. And so if you watch something like the one child nation documentary on Amazon prime, you hear time and time again, I was doing my patriotic duty, killing these children because I knew it was wrong, but I was just following orders. And if I didn't obey, then I was going to lose my job or I was going to lose this incentive. And so you remove agency from the power, from the person who is carrying out those orders. And so you get a guy like the killer of George Floyd. He, he doesn't, he, he has a job that he's dehumanized him from seeing George Floyd as anything other than a criminal quote unquote. And he is no longer interested in serving his basic function in this society, which is upholding George Floyd's rights. And then if he doesn't he's not going to face any consequences because the guy has already killed a bunch of people he killed a native american guy and i guess amy klobuchar let him off once before so he's part of a system that doesn't that is going to have his back no matter what he does and then he has a public that's going to support him because of patriotism and so and he personally no longer has to feel guilty about his actions because He's just following orders. He's not the one passing the laws. That's the politicians. My conscience can be clean. It's absolved of guilt. I wash my hands of it because it's the mayor and the, and the council that is passing these laws. I'm just following orders. And so you wonder why you start to find more police shootings or you hear more about it. You see more illegal acts. When no one faces consequences, there are more bad consequences. And part of the problem of what we're setting up in America today is we're removing the consequences for everyone. And progressives, you're the worst at this. You want to use the state to protect everybody and make everybody just feel okay. The reality is you can't protect everybody. You can't make sure that when I walk out of that door that I'm going to walk in safely. You don't have the ability. You don't have the power. And when you try, you remove my responsibility for making sure I come home safely, making sure my family's taken care of, making sure I have money and savings, making sure I have my bills paid on time, making sure that I have health insurance. Because the more you try to do for me, the more you enable me to make bad decisions. And then when you fail, because you have the inability, you have no ability to follow through on any of this, I'm worse off. And so we keep asking on both sides of this Stockholm syndrome of the two-party system to do more, fix this, do more, fix this. Ben Shapiro saying today, why isn't the president on TV? He needs to be on the, pre on the TV tonight saying the federal government's going to stop these riots. He doesn't have that power. He's incapable. And the more you ask him to fix the problem, the worse he's going to make the problem. 
look at testing for COVID-19. Well, we want these vaccine, we want these tests to be safe. So let's make sure that the CDC does it. So instead of 16 labs working on tests, you have the CDC working on tests. You have one point of failure or one point of success instead of 16 points of failure or success. And they failed and they wasted six weeks and a bunch more people died. In New York State, we outsourced who goes into nursing homes and doesn't because we've given that power over to Andrew Cuomo and he made the wrong decision and he sent, he forced nursing homes to take COVID patients from the hospitals and he's responsible for thousands of more deaths. But you think he's a hero. Donald Trump's the Cretan, but Andrew Cuomo kills an extra 4,000 people in his state and he's should be vice president. We're rewarding failure. You, these people fail up. In the governmental system at every level, when these people fail, when they have a 40-year record of failure, we make them the presidential nominee. And you end up with Joe Biden or Mike Pence as vice president. I mean, there isn't a bitter, bigger record of do-nothingism than Mike Pence. He was the worst governor in modern Indiana history. And that guy's vice president, and he's the one running the COVID task force for the White House. It just boggles my mind. Like, it's the Peter principle at work, you know, and the reason Andrew Cuomo is sending COVID positive patients back to nursing homes is because the big nurse, the big hospitals are saying to Andrew Cuomo, who they give a ton of money to, we need to clear the beds. You need to get these people out of here, do what we want, or else that money is going to dry up. So, yes. Yes, boss. I'll send that, send those people right back. You know, it's Tammany Hall all over again. You know, these corporations, they control these politicians because none of them have a spine. Politicians are infinitely. There is one true power in this country, and it is the people of the United States. It is the people of Indianapolis. It is the people of Indiana. It is the people of Texas. It is the people of Los Angeles. It is public opinion that terrifies Large corporations, small corporations, small business owners, politicians of every stripe, bureaucrats, the people terrify them. They're terrified. And the biggest fear that they have is that we're all going to get it together and start actually being nice to each other. <laughs> because once they can stop dividing us and pitting us against each other and controlling us and you know, scaring the shit out of us, it's were easy, easy to control. And so let's not move on to the next thing. Let's not do what we always do with this and be really upset that George Floyd died and do nothing about it. There's a ton of solutions out there. Justin Amash has, has introduced a bill to end qualified immunity, which basically means that if you're a government employee, you get immunity, you know, Force payouts for police brutality to be paid for from police pensions. Instead of me paying for it as an Indianapolis taxpayer, take it out of their pensions because all of a sudden they're going to start policing each other. Change internal affairs to a private organization with an oversight board of community leaders from across the political spectrum. And that includes libertarians because it shouldn't be a two party board. It should be independent people. You know, there are tons of ideas out there to start ending this stuff. End the war on drugs. Let's stop all this bullshit. 
and frankly, it's you boomers. Oh, if we if we legalize marijuana, that's look what happened. We have riots in the streets because we legalize marijuana. No, we're cracking down on drugs and we've completely rotted out the bottom rungs of our economic ladder through forcing them into selling drugs because there are no other economic opportunities because you boomers wanted to have cheesecake factory and McMansions on concrete slabs that are going to be dilapidated 30 years after they're built. I mean, what disappointment, what a disappointing generation that is. I mean, oh, we didn't know. You know, we just didn't know. No, you could have listened to Fuck the Police by NWA, but instead your generation put a a sticker on it that said little old me shouldn't listen to it because it might rot my brain. You know, you you could have fixed things after the 92 riots, after Rodney King got beat. You know what you did? Nothing. You built McMansions. Just uh, millennials, Generation Z, we can't make the same mistakes as boomers. We, We just can't. And I know it's exhausting. I know that every day is another news cycle of a thing that you've got to care about. I'm living and breathing it every day. The fact is, is that people's lives are on the line. And it's not good enough to just passively sit by and watch it all move along. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's police officers. I, I know that you're not all killers, that you're not all bad people. I know that you do a lot of good and that there's a lot that happens in the community that police that like when I was on this ride along, he goes, you know, most people don't hear about the good stuff that we do. You know, and he told me several different charitable things like somebody had been stopped on the highway and they all raise money like these guys have families, too. You know, but nobody ever goes and connects with police officers on a human level. You know, I'm sure that through these protests, as protesters start talking to police officers, friendships are going to develop and people are going to quit the force or change their force because it goes back to the in-group thing that I was talking about earlier. Police officers, you can change your departments. You have more credibility than me, a libertarian podcaster has. I can show up outside of and hold a rally outside. And you know what? The Everybody's going to go, what the fuck does he know? He rode with a cop one time when he was 17. But if you're a police officer, you have much more incentive to say this is wrong. We need to the public sector union has a gun to the head of the population, literally. And we're enacting these bad policies that are making us unpopular, that are killing the people that we're serving. You know, there was a guy named Sean Reed who was killed by Indianapolis police officers here a couple weeks ago. And you hear the shots fired. You see the phone drop. And you hear the police officer losing his mind with grief. You saw it with Philando Castile. He was killed and that police officer started losing his mind. They don't. It's a shitty job. And everybody gets that. And it's a dangerous job. But you work for the government. And teachers, you're in the same boat. You work for the government, which means you work for me. And if you want to draw a public salary. That means I get an input in how you do your job and what you get paid and how much of my money you want to take from me to give to you. And if I don't feel that the services are right or I feel you're infringing on my rights, I'm going to say something. But to counteract that, we get all teachers are heroes. All police are heroes. Oh, 
Why are you being so mean to these heroes? They're doing a job. I'm sorry. If you're a public sector servant, you don't have super rights. You're not a super citizen. You have the same rights as me. And if you put your knee on the neck of a citizen and you kill him, you're a murderer. And you should go to jail after you get a fair trial, right? I'm, I'm okay with the fair trial. I'm not one of these people who thinks you should just be executed immediately. But you don't have, you don't have super rights. And I, I think most police officers and teachers would agree with that. Like, you know, they're, they're touchy because they're constantly criticized. But you work for the government. You work for me. Sorry. Like, if you don't like it, go do a different job. In fact, we'd ha- like to have a lot of you quit. We'd love for the public education system to be non-functional so we can then start homeschooling our kids because I think this pandemic was good because a lot of parents are going, this is the quality of teachers that we have teaching. This is the quality of administrations that we have. Uh, I think people who work in these jobs internalize that criticism and it's, it isn't that people are criticizing you. It's not that people dislike you as a person. Usually it's that people are upset with the system. Everybody's upset with the system that we've built because it's built on violence. It's built on tribalism. So stop taking it so damn personally so we can have a conversation. You know, I I don't, uh, you know, where should I go from here? Uh, like I said, I, I don't think that uh, all cops are bastards. I think there's good ones. I'm not. I'm not trying to to call you out. I want to make the point that I think that some of you don't want to be in the system that you're in. And it sucks. Soldiers, you're in the same boat. Teachers, you're in the same boat. The largest amounts of people that like our Facebook, the top five groups of people, according to Facebook statistics, that follow our 100,000 Facebook follower page on Facebook, are all five of them are public sector employees. Some of our biggest, you know, patrons, some of our biggest supporters, they're public sector employees. Because they know how much this all sucks more than we do. Uh, so I want to share a couple of uh, things that I thought were really touching. People are so divided. You know, we're, we're going through these this three months of coronavirus and this separation. And you know, literally 17 days ago, I predicted there'd be civil unrest in June because you just can't have this level of unemployment and then push everyone into their houses and have everybody feel broke and everybody feel oppressed and not have problems. Now I didn't expect it to be over this, but I knew there'd be some catalyst. Uh, I thought it'd be conservatives popping off, but you know, you, you get things like the hairdresser and uh, States opening up and they calm down a little bit. But <laughs> the people that are li- that are rioting, the people that are looting, they're young. They're they're college kids. They're high school kids. They're people of color. You know, they're the ones who are 
the first to get laid off. They're the first to be seen as expendable in the economy. And and people say to me, you know, the economy doesn't matter. Fuck the economy. Fuck money. That's all greed. That's not true. The economy is people's dreams and hopes and how they pay for college and how they pay for their mortgage. A job is the passion that you have when you wake up in the morning for people. And if you have nothing to wake up for and you're just sitting at home and you're watching this boiling pot on television and then something pops off, I mean, that's there's it was never going to be good. And I, I heard that one LAPD source told CBS that this is already worse than the 92 riots because it's so much bigger. It wasn't just contained in Compton. It was so much bigger across LA. Um, so before we beat up on the cops too much, I just wanted to say that I'm trying to understand you, even though I am in opposition to the power that you have. Uh, because I'm trying to come at it from an empathetic point of view and understand where you're coming from, but you should quit. Uh, you know, and there have been moments of leadership from police captains and sheriffs and police officers across the nation that have been absolutely beautiful and touching. And I want to share a couple of those. Uh, the first is from uh, from ABC Nightly News. So check this out. Finally tonight here, we promise to stay on those images that are just as important. Tonight, so many of you at home reacting to our story last night here. The moments playing out across America. In so many communities, the peaceful protesters welcomed by the officers. In Bellevue, Washington, Police Chief Steve Milet and a demonstrator embracing. In Miami, you could see the line of law enforcement and then the moment it all changes. A highway patrol trooper walking up to this woman hugging her. She was grateful. I love you, man. I love you, man. In New York's Times Square, an officer who was kneeling, raising his arms, a demonstrator then shaking his hand, the two then hugged. You could hear the cheers erupting in the crowd. And it was last night here, we introduced you to Genesee County Sheriff Chris Swanson in Flint, Michigan, who told the demonstrators there, we are here for you, asking, what can we do? When they said march, he did. Tonight here, what he said. The only reason we're here is to make sure that you got a voice. That's it. There we go. Don't think for a second. Don't think for a second that he represents who these cops are from all over the county and around this nation. We go out there to help people, not do that nonsense. There we go. I'm just going to tell you. We want to be with y'all for real. So I took my helmet off and laid the batons down. I want to make this a parade, not a protest. These cops love you. That cop over here hugs people. So you tell us what you need to do. Saying we will protect you. We are with you. They said march with us. And so he did. I'm David Muir. I will see. So <clears throat> there was another community that they highlighted in this where they've started to take some of that same tactic in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, in Camden, ABC News writes, part of the policy, uh, part of the police's new beginning also included developing a very progressive use of force policy. It mandates the sanctity of life. 
Force is a last resort. De-escalation is mandated. It's not just a policy, Wiskoski said. We train with it every day. It's a constant reinforcement. You have a perfect, you can have a perfect policy, but if you don't constantly train, it's forgotten. Excessive force, com- excessive force complaints in Camden have seen a 95% drop since 2014 with just three complaints in 2018 and 2018 night each. Uh, meanwhile, violent crime rates too have come down in the city. As at the conclusion of Saturday's demonstration, police held what they called a pop-up barbecue for restaurant residents, including hot dogs, hamburgers, and a Mr. Softy ice cream truck. Officers are doing more barbecues on Sunday, Wiskoski said. There's no alternative. We can't impose our will on a community. It's the community and the police together, and that's what we're doing in Camden. That's leadership. That is somebody that understands their responsibility. That is somebody that says, I know how it is done, but I'm going to do it differently. And I'm sure there are people that took umbrage with it. I'm sure there are people that in the in the department that it changes hard, especially when some change is so deeply ingrained in everything that's going on. But that's leadership. Billy Graham once said that courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And what happened in Flint, Michigan is going to change things across the nation. What is happening in Camden can change things across the country. But it takes somebody in the in-group stepping up and saying, I'm going to do it differently. And I'm going to recognize people's humanity. I'm going to become friends with people. Because you know what happens when you start to build trust in a society? Let's say you're, let's say there's a long, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything that people don't understand here. There's a lot of mistrust between the black community and police. And so what happens when you start building trust? Crime goes down. You know why? Because people don't want to live in the middle of crime and they don't want the knucklehead next door running, you know, doing the shit that they're doing. People want to, they don't want to be hassled. They don't want to be bothered and they don't want somebody knocking on their door, beating the shit out of them, be it a cop, a drug dealer, whomever, right? Like people want to live in safety. And if they find that they can find partners that they trust, they're going to take that chance. But it means the supposed two sides starting to have to have a dialogue and and making real change. But the change has to come from power. The change has to come from majorities. The change to expect minority, and I don't mean minorities in in terms of people of color, but to exchange to expect the minorities to change the way things are done. That's impossible. It takes a majority of people in term in, in a geographical area to make real changes, and it takes people within the certain in groups making inroads with out groups and everybody starting to talk together. So I thought that was a great story. Uh, I want to just, there was a, a couple other really uh, nice incidents before I get to the awful stuff. So I'm trying not to be a dick, you know, I'm trying to be understanding here and, and, uh, and get everybody to understand what, what is really going on. Uh, I thought this was great. 
uh, this was in Louisville. An officer got separated from his squad and uh, some protesters protected him. And uh, it's just people saying, you know, I'm going to do what's right. And this person, even though I disagree with them, is deserving of, of protection. And we have the ability to protect them. And you know what those guys, you know what these guys here are doing? They're modeling for this guy what the majority of police officers should do. And so this guy, because these guys have built trust with him, is going to go back and start working on building trust between these two groups of people. So that's tremendous. You know, the reality is, is that, that people are starved for, they're starved for love. Not kindness. Kindness is bullshit. Being nice is bullshit. What people want is love. What those guys surrounding that cop are doing, they're loving him. What that sheriff did in Flint, they're loving, he's loving the people he serves. People are starved for love. And so when you find love and you demonstrate love and you make yourself personally vulnerable, people appreciate that effort. But it, it means you have to be uncomfortable and you have to make that choice. Because the guy in Flint, Michigan didn't have to do that. There's a cop who made a, a video about how he was against the lockdowns and how he felt he was violating people's rights and he spoke up and you know what happened? He got fired. And Radley Balco made the great point on Twitter. Those four cops, had they intervened or if a citizen had intervened in George Floyd's killing, those cops would have been fired and those people would have been arrested because that's the system. But I'd rather see you go to jail for a good cause than to see a man die. Love the 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 opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. It is apathy. And in all these different groups, it, it takes everybody choosing to stop participating in indifference and start participating in love. Um. So. Uh, I was going to read the comments, but that'll just distract me. So I want to talk maybe a little bit. Uh, let's save. Let's let's do some of the really bad stuff here. So some of the stuff that's going on that's egregious um, with police officers. So this is in Atlanta, and this was I think two nights ago, uh, and the. The problem with curfews is that it makes a criminal out of everyone. And it's just like the lockdown curfews. The reality is everybody was a criminal in a society that had a, a curfew. And so right now, you know, last night I was robbed of my, I was kicked out of the mire here locally. I'm miles away from where the protests were happening and hours before it was taking place. But I was kicked out of the mire because uh, of the Indianapolis curfew. And I, listen, I understand the logic of a curfew. You you shut down businesses, ask people to stay in their homes so there's less accident reports. It's the same stuff as COVID, the same arguments, right? Police don't have to go to Meyer to take a, a, an arrest there because they've got to shift their resources downtown. I get the logic of it, but this is why I don't support curfews. Because liberty is too precious to lose for logic sometimes. And here are two people sitting in their car doing absolutely nothing wrong. 
And here are two officers dressed like Darth fucking Vader running up. And uh, here's what happens. Those are a guy breaking the a cop breaking the window. They're trying to come to me right now. They're trying to roll drive away. Come to me right now. Come to me. Cop breaking another window. Come to me right now. This woman just got tased. Cop pops the tire so they can't drive away. Come to me right now. Man tased, woman tased, woman drug out of the car. Come to me right now. He's resisting because they haven't done anything wrong. He's being tased again. There's 10 cops surrounding the car. They're tasing him again. There's now 15 cops around the car. Their crime was driving through an area where 15 cops were. So that's the effect of... Uh, of curfews and those two cops were were actually fired the mayor of Atlanta I think is is doing a pretty bang up job down there uh, in curtailing some of this stuff and uh, this is in Minneapolis this is a post of mine that went viral 4,000 shares 141,000 views 1,200 comments and everybody like me in my line of work goes man wouldn't it be great to have a viral post and then you have a viral post. And it's the worst thing that ever happens because it's just nothing but people going, well, they should have they should have just not been on their porch. So this was a, a professor who was sitting on her porch with a couple of friends at her home in her neighborhood. And the National Guard rolls by and uh, a Humvee rolls by and then a, basically a troop of 30 or 40 cops start marching by. And listen what happens. Look at this. They just keep coming. Oh, go inside! Get inside! Get inside! Get Get your house down! Let's go! Light them up! Go inside now! Get in the house! Get in, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in. Get in. Oh, God, that hurt. You guys. Are you okay? Right on the fucking crotch. Are you okay? You got hit? They're both for that, dude. What? Okay. That was four or five people sitting on their porch. There was a curfew. How are they breaking curfew if they're at home? But they were on their front porch. And they didn't obey, so they got shot with paintball guns. Their property was painted by the police. I mean, it's just truly insane. So, uh, this was here locally. Uh, We'll start with the funny stuff. As funny as funny can be, I guess. So, this, this post gets made on Facebook. And Greenwood is a town about 20 minutes south of Indianapolis 
and uh, it's a city in uh, somewhere on Facebook in some group, some teenage kid says at 3 p.m. everybody go to Greenwood Mall and grab whatever you want and just walk out. They can't stop all of us. Spread the word. No justice. No peace. Three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so what happens? Uh, the mayor issues a media release. Due to recent events, Simon Property Group has decided to close the Greenwood Park Mall at noon today. We are monitoring this current situation closely with Simon Property and other local agencies. What happens is they had, and not many people knew this, they have in Johnson County and Greenwood a total of four MRAPs for a couple hundred thousand people in the county and a police helicopter and they were running training exercises in the mall parking lot. And so one intrepid reporter on my Facebook uh, on my Facebook account sent me all these sent me all this stuff and alerted me to it. Went, drove up there, took some pics, got some information for me and I shared it. And uh, I wrote if you were con- if you weren't convinced that local governments are drama queens based on their covid reaction, this will do it for you. The mall's been closed and they're running exercises in the Value City parking lot. Well, it turns out that they got pretty pissed off that I shared that post because they don't like sunshine. I don't know why they wouldn't want their citizens to know exactly what was going on in their county, but uh, city officials were embarrassed by my post and uh, they were even more upset that someone on a couple town boards on zoning boards shared it and there was a rumor going around in the government that he didn't support the police so he was to be removed from his uh town boards they just didn't like that bit of transparency so for that you can kiss my ass so this is a new one that happened tonight that it just really pissed me off and uh it's video of some worshipers last night here on the circle so if you don't if you're not familiar with downtown indianapolis there is a, a big circle and a big monument. And that's where that's kind of the community gathering place in, in Indy, this big circle. And so there was a group of churchgoers praying on the circle about an hour before curfew. And uh, they were trying to break everything up on the north side of the circle, several hundred yards away from where this worship service was taking place. Now, the police knew that this worship event was taking place and even talked to some of the the churchgoers beforehand uh, on their way up to go control the crowd. And when I say control the crowd, I mean use tear gas on them because they didn't like they were protesting. Uh, Tear gas is not an excuse to control the crowd. I'm sorry. It's just it's the amount of tear gas that is being used right now is bullshit. And so they inexplicably drive the protesters, the peaceful protesters that are doing nothing wrong in the middle of the day, down around the circle towards the worship service and then fire tear gas canisters into the worship service and then won't let them go and get their equipment. And what the police didn't know is that in the crowd was a former deputy mayor who's personal friends with everybody and so uh, everybody got in some trouble. But this is how we're becoming like Russia, basically. To get anything done, you've got to know somebody. So this is just a couple uh, seconds You'll before the two guys. Stop. Stop.
never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when we don't see it, God's working. Even when we don't feel it, God's working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop working. Yes, God. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Move, The tear gas. The tear gas starts rolling in the canisters right next to a woman in a wheelchair. Ma'am, ma'am. And children. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And there's still nobody greater. <laughs> Lily, Lily, McKenzie. <laughs> Gail, where's Lily? Gail. So that is a group of people that have been denied access to their sanctuaries for the last three months, trying to worship uh, and respect biology on the circle outside, praying for their city, which is undergoing violent protests. We lost uh, a very respected member of the community, and he, he was killed, and apparently... According to police officers, they tried to apply first aid and they were rushed off by uh, by looters. But anyway, so you've got these people who are there worshiping, praying for their city that lost, I think, two people the night before. And then they're chased off by police for for worshiping. Um, so that that was pretty crappy. Um, and then. Let's see here. So this is a little bit, and I'm using Indianapolis as kind of a, this is my city. This is what I know. This is how I know politics works. And so I kind of understand what we're looking at here so I can translate to you. So I'm sorry if it's not current, but what's happening here is kind of what's happening in your city. So you'll see along here, you'll see all the banks on the sides, streets here boarded up. All these videos are on my Facebook page. You can go follow me on Facebook. Uh, and that's because looters basically broke into all that stuff. And we'll talk about them in just a moment, but this is a protest, um, yesterday. And these are, you, these are peaceful people. This is the middle of the afternoon. It looks like it's probably about three based on the shadows. And these guys are just out marching, making a political statement and they're in the middle of the street, but guess what? We own those streets. And so if the people want to shut down their public streets to march, that is their right. And it is not for the police to curtail their First Amendment rights to free assembly and free speech. But we have gotten to this idea that somehow the person who is inconvenienced by the protest has more rights than the person exercising their First Amendment rights. And that's a complete bass-ackwards way to view the intent of what the founders believed. The point is that these guys have the right of way. The minority has more rights in this instance than the person who is inconvenienced because the people who need to be inconvenienced are probably the ones who can help make a difference. 
And so when police officers come and try to disperse a peaceful protest in the way that they're doing, it escalates the situation. It does the, it's the opposite of love. It is the opposite of Flint, Michigan. And so I want to wa- I want you to watch this. This is how peaceful protesters are being treated by the Indianapolis Police Department. And it's happening in your city. It's happening across the nation. And so if you're listening, it's a drone. It's a drone shot, basically, of thousands of people marching in the street, hands up. Streets are basically shut down because they're so full in the streets. Ordered windows all across. So then police shut down their own side of the street. And they begin firing tear gas cannons. They hit one man in the head to disperse the crowd. Because we wouldn't want those people that are parked at an intersection to be inconvenienced. So I think it's total, I think it's wholly inappropriate to use tear gas tear gas to break up a protest such as that. Um so let me see here. Let me just kind of look at my prep one more time to make sure that I'm 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 covering the good to bad stuff before I make my final point here about stuff. Um let's jump uh, let's jump into the the makeup of the protesters because it's it's multivariate. So we talked about the different different strains of police and you know it goes from the Flint Michigan cop all the way to the two cops beating the crap out of people over curfew to them shooting you know when when we hear who's going to uh, oh police officers will uphold the constitution they'll never confiscate guns no they'll shoot you on your porch for not for violating curfew uh there was a great video that you know, I'm really proud of young Stone, Stone Aldridge, who who came to us from Georgia at 19. And, you know, young 19-year-old Georgia kid, not usually very progressive on race. Uh, and I log into Stone, and I swear to God, it looks like Ryan Lindsay has been on our Instagram now because he's turned into, he's turned into Wokezilla. And so I'm really proud of him. And it's because Stone didn't have to listen, and he doesn't have to be uncomfortable when his family doesn't get why he believes what he believes, but he's just been listening and he's been paying attention and he's been uh, uh, trying to understand the experiences of other people. And he's come a long way on this stuff. And so I log into the Instagram one, one day and there's this two minute video of two guys talking to each other with an enormous amount of passion. And I teared up watching this. And and so, no, I will never understand what it is like to be black and to understand how the system treats my black friends versus me, right? I, I, I don't have that. I will not have that experience. But a friend said, yeah, that's true, but 
you know, as a parent, when my friend's kid got cancer, my kid didn't have cancer, but I still had empathy for that person and their struggle. And when you watch this video, you feel the emotion. You empathize with the struggle. You hear the fear. And so for the majority of people marching, I feel this is representative of the message and the feeling and just one version. Uh, so you know, I don't know where this comes from, but it's on the We Are Libertarians Instagram. Well, we we worried about this I understand. but we won't stand up for them. I understand. They get killed on the daily basis. Come and talk to me. I understand. How do you? I'm tired of this. How do you? I'm 45 years old. 45 and I'm 31. And I'm tired of seeing this. And you the older generation than me and I'm right. too. And we've been standing but around tell you as something. the older ones taking all this bullshit. Always hoping for a kumbaya fucking job. Come here. Always standing around for a kumbaya Ain't nobody coming to protect us. Let me tell you We got to start our own fucking life. I understand. But let me tell you something right here. This 16. He's 16. They're going to kill him. He's 16. What we going to do? You tell me. What we going to do? This ain't the way. Because they ready to let loose. If the United States president say, if you lose, we shoot. Then you see him doing this. I know it. It's always going to happen. But it's time to stand up. So at this point, at this point, I'm ready to die. But what's going on? Let me tell you something. That's the problem that we got. you see right now. It's going to happen 10 years from now. And at 26, you're going to be doing the same thing I'm doing. You understand that? 10 years. You're going to be right here too. So what I need you to do right now at 16 is come up with a better way. Because how we doing it, it ain't working. He angry at 46. I'm angry at 31. You angry at 16. You understand me? Putting yourself in harm's way is not the way. No, it's not. You and the other your counterparts, the same Asian that has that same power, y'all coming with a better way. We ain't doing it. Oh my God. And I have a five year old son, and it ain't happening. I marched four years ago. Keep Lamont Scott did the same shit y'all doing. The same exact thing night after night after night. It don't matter. Come up with a better way. Just incredibly powerful. And and it goes back to what I was saying. It's this kid was going and, and trying to fight the police and they pulled him aside and they said, stop in group policing. You need to figure a better way out because you're doing what I did and it doesn't work. We need to work on a better solution. You know, you need that guy to go talk to the Flint sheriff and come up with a better way. Because what we're doing isn't working. I just think that is such a, a great video. This is a little longer, uh, but this is possibly the best, uh, the best speech I've ever heard extemporaneously. Uh, this is Killer Mike, and it went viral. He was invited by the the uh, Atlanta mayor to speak on Friday night 
as things were really starting to get out of control. And I've never heard anybody speak off the cuff as eloquently as this, as killer Mike did, as he did. Um, it's challenging. It's raw and, uh, it's long, but I, I hope that you will listen and, and get something of value out of it. Like I did. And I don't want to be here. I didn't want to come and I don't want to be here. I'm the son of an Atlanta city police officer. Um, my cousin is an Atlanta city police officer and my other cousin East point police officer. And I got a lot of love and respect for police officers down to the original eight police officers in Atlanta that even after becoming police, had to dress in a YMCA because white officers didn't want to get dressed with niggers. And here we are 80 years later. I watched a white officer assassinate a black man. And I know that tore your heart out. And I know it's crippling. And I have nothing positive to say in this moment because I don't want to be here. But I'm responsible to be here because it wasn't just Dr. King and people dressed nicely who marched and protested to progress this city and so many other cities. It was people like my grandmother, people like my aunts and uncles who were members of SCLC and NAACP, and in particular, Reverend James Orange, Mrs. Alice Johnson, and Reverend Love, who we just lost last year. So I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize and mobilize. It is time to beat up prosecutors you don't like at the voting booth. It is time to hold mayoral offices accountable, chiefs and deputy chiefs. Atlanta is not perfect, but we're a lot better than we ever were, and we're a lot better than cities are. I'm mad as hell. I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die. He casually put his knee on a human being's neck for nine minutes as he died like a zebra in the clutch of a lion's jaw. And we watch it like murder porn over and over again. So that's why children are burning to the ground. They don't know what else to do. And it is the responsibility of us to make this better right now. We don't want to see one officer charged. We want to see four officers prosecuted and sentenced. We don't want to see targets burning. We want to see the system that sets up for systemic racism burnt to the ground. And as I sit here in Georgia, home of Stevens, Georgia, former vice president of the Confederacy, White man said that law, fundamental law stated that whites were naturally the superior race. And the Confederacy was built on a cornerstone 
It's called a cornerstone speech. Look it up. The cornerstone speech that blacks would always be subordinate. That officer believed that speech because he killed that man like an animal. In this city, officers have done horrendous things and they have been prosecuted. This city's cut different. In this city, you can find over 50 restaurants owned by black women. I didn't say minority and I didn't say women of color. So after you burn down your own home, what do you have left but char and ash? CNN, Ted did a great thing. I love CNN. I love Cartoon Network. But I'd like to say to CNN right now, karma's a mother. Stop feeding fear and anger every day. Stop making people feel so fearful. Give them hope. I'm glad they only took down a sign and defaced a building and they're not killing human beings like that policeman did. I'm glad that they only destroyed some brick and mortar and they didn't rip a father from a son. They didn't rip a, fa- a son from a mother like the policeman did. When a man yells for his mother in duress and pain and she's dead, he is essentially yelling, please, God, don't let it happen to me. And we watch that. So my question for us on the other side of this camera is after it burns, Will we be left with charred or will we rise like a phoenix out of the ashes that Atlanta has always done? Will we use this as a moment to say that we will not do what other cities have done? And in fact, we will get better than we've been. We got good enough to destroy cash bonds. You don't have to worry about going to jail for some petty. We got smart enough to decriminalize marijuana. How smart are we going to be in the next 15 or 20 years to keep us ahead of this curve? So that much like when South Africa suffered apartheid, you had Andy and other politicians that could make sure that Atlanta said, Coca-Cola, we love you. But if you don't pull out of South Africa, we're going to leave. We're not going to drink Coca-Cola anymore. Coca-Cola jumped on their side and apartheid ended. So we have an opportunity now because I'm mad. I don't have any good advice. But what I can tell you is that if you sit in your homes tonight, instead of burning your home to the ground, you will have time to properly plot, plan, strategize, and organize and mobilize in an effective way. And two of the most effective ways is first taking your butt to the computer and making sure you fill out your census so that people know who you are and where you are. The next thing is making sure you exercise your political bully power and going to local elections and beating up the politicians that you don't like. You got a prosecutor sent your partner to jail and you know it was bullshit. Put a new prosecutor in there. Now's your election to do it. You want a different senator that's more progressive that pulls marijuana through? Now is the time to do that. But it is not time to burn down your own home. I love and I respect you. I hate I don't have more to say. I hate I can't fix it in a snap. I hate Atlanta's not perfect for as good as we are. But we have to be better than this moment. We have to be better than burning down our own homes, because if we lose Atlanta, what else we got? We lose an ability to plot, to plan, to strategize, to organize and to properly mobilize. I want you to go home. I want you to talk to 10 of your friends. I want you guys to come up with real solutions. I would like for the Atlanta City Police Department to bring back the Community Review Board One that Alice Johnson was formerly under, under Chief Turner. We need a review board here because we need to get ahead of it. Before an officer does some stupid shit. We need to get ahead of it. That's my recommendation to my mayor and my chief. Let's get a review. Well, let's get ahead of it and let's give them power. We don't need an officer that makes a mistake once, twice, three times. And finally, he kills a boy on national TV. And the next thing you know, the country is burning down. 
We don't need a dumbass president repeating what segregation is said. You start looting, we start shooting. But the problem is some officers black and some people going to shoot back. And that's not good for our community either. I love and respect you all. I hope that we find a way out of it because I don't have the answers, but I do know we must plot, we must plan, we must strategize, organize, and mobilize. Thank you for allowing me some time to speak. I mean, just truly powerful words. It was uh, really great. Um, you know, he, he the fake humility. I don't have anything to say, but he really had a lot to say. It was really great. Um, You you hear those two protesters before you hear Killer Mike, and those are like that's the best of the protesters. That is an eloquent case for the fee the the feeling that Black Lives Matter protesters have. I don't know how you can look at what those men had to say and say I don't agree with that. When he's talking about organizing for protecting rights and expanding rights and getting power to recognize humanity, how can we be against that? When you have police officers who want to put down their batons and walk with protesters because they agree with what Killer Mike just said, how can we be against that? So I'm not against all police officers. I'm not against all Black Lives Matter protesters. I'm not against all of the shutdown protesters. Because the people, the foundation of what I believe is nonviolence. I believe in organizing society around nonviolence. That I have political goals that I want to achieve, but I'm not willing to use the force of the state against you. I'm not willing to use police officers to walk up and break your windows to get you to live the way I want you to live. I'm not willing to pass a law for National Guardsmen to walk down a street and shoot paintballs at you. I'm not willing to use violence to put a man's life in jeopardy and end it because a cop Busted him on a $20 counterfeit bill. Like, I'm just not, I'm not interested in organizing society that way anymore. I want a better way. I'm looking for a better way. I want to be part of the solution. You know, I firmly reject violence wherever it exists. If it's in the police, if it's in the protesters, I reject violence there. If it is nonviolent solutions towards political action to expand libertarian, to expand liberties, I'm there. I'm on your side. I'm on your team. And I'm not going to get distracted because there are assholes in your in group. But what I need from you is you to police your in group and I will police mine. Ah, but it's just not the, you know, it's we've got libertarian cancel culture and you just can't tell libertarians how to behave. Yeah, I can. Because you're telling me not to tell them what to say or do. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody how they ought to do it. I'm trying to model a better way. I'm trying to do this show in a way that models the right path. I'm trying to show the people who 
listen to me because of other means and they're not libertarians a different way. I'm trying to show them that nonviolent solutions are the path, that there is a different choice, that you don't have to go and choose the two party system when you walk to the polls in November that you can walk away from that system, that you can start choosing differently. You can walk away from being apathetic towards the issues that are around you and ignoring your kids by playing the games on your phone or fantasy football with your, with your friends and ignoring that there's real injustices in this society. I want to model a better way. And it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that Killer Mike is perfect. Everybody's trying. And the people that are trying and coming from a place of love, I'm going to support them, even if they're cops. Even if that profession is not perfect. Even if Black Lives Matter is full of liberals, and I'm a Christian, conservative-leaning person, a white, straight, Christian male living in the Midwest, I'm not supposed to like Black Lives Matter. I'm a traitor. Well, if you think that, you can go fuck yourself. Because I'm for liberty and I'm for freedom, freedom of association, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. I'm for all of that more than I am for my tribe. And I'm going to put my values above what I'm supposed to believe to fit in. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. And sometimes that means having conversations with people that I don't know how to have a conversation about race. And it becomes very uncomfortable. But I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. I could just ignore it. I could ignore the problem. I could say what I said on this show five years ago. But the looters... But Chicago. But I decided to start listening and starting to make myself uncomfortable and to have conversations with people that are different than me. And my life has been truly blessed by it. Diversity is not the enemy of liberty. Diversity is not the enemy of conservatives. Diversity is not the enemy of liberals. If you're in a university. Diversity is a wonderful addition to everybody's life because all of a sudden your horizons expand and your capacity for humanity grows. But it takes you having some courage and losing your apathy. So with that said, there are um, shades to everything, right? There isn't a binary choice. Not all the people at the protesters are, are, are bad, but some of them are bad. And the president isn't totally wrong when he calls out Antifa. But what I think Antifa has become is kind of a catch-all term for douchebag white kids, college-aged guys who just have watched the Joker one too many times and have violent fantasies and think that I'm going to live out. I, I've, re I've read too many uh, books on the late 1800s, early 1900s and revolutionaries in Germany. And Paul, yes, unfortunately, we don't take calls. Uh, and so they want to go out and we're going to make change through violence. 
So I think there's some of those guys. I think that there are some actual violent people within some of this stuff. Uh, and I think that there are some foreign agents. I think that there are some, you know, it, there is a historical record for, uh, for foreign agents, for instance, in the 60s, Soviets would send people to start riots. I think there is a case to be made that there's a there was a rumor going around, and it looks pretty convincing. Uh, the Free Thought Project. Uh, I, Paul keeps spamming the chat if we take calls. Now he's calling me a pussy and a coward for not taking calls. This is my show, Paul. Get your own live stream freeloader this guy must be an antifa uh so i think that the reality is that a lot of these guys are not antifa and they're not ideologically based i think a lot of the people that are are committing it's 10:52 as i record this and the riots are probably happening across the country those are not protesters those are rioters those are people who are there to commit violence now there may be protesters who are not engaging in violent acts in the middle of those streets at 11 p.m. in new york city or philadelphia or minneapolis and that's fine as long as you're not committing violence against other people by stealing their stuff breaking their property committing murder here in the case of indianapolis uh but if you do commit murder and you do rob people's stores, you're a piece of shit. There's no way around it. And you're a criminal and you should go to jail. You know, downtown comics is a store. Uh, I know the owner and that guy's worked hard to build that store. He's had an incredibly hard few months because of the shutdown. And now his product is all across the middle of the street in Indianapolis because a bunch of high school kids wanted to go joyriding with baseball bats and frozen water bottles. That's a tragedy for that business owner. And so the people, oh, they have insurance. You know, a life is worth more than a business. As if somehow that's a choice. Like, as if somehow, like... Burning down a target honors George Floyd. I, I don't agree with you. I'm sorry. Like, well, don't tell people of color how to express their rage. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying protest in whatever way you'd like. But in society, there have to be fundamental limits. You can't attack people's property in person. And if you don't want the police officers to attack property in person, you can't do the same back. You can't defeat violence with more violence. But I don't believe that the people that are looting or the people that are, are committing acts of violence are ideologically driven from what I've seen. Um, you know, this is Indianapolis here. Uh, the other day as people were, it was like hurricane prep, you know, here's a uh, building, putting up stuff, Kilroy's, which does not have a great reputation in terms of, uh, so a lot of these businesses put up plywood and, 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 you know, this is the middle of the day and these are businesses that have, have had to be closed all weekend. They're trying to get their feet back on the ground and, and because of the violence, they're not able to feed their employees. So we were all outraged. Oh, it's just so sad. But then, you know, now, well, it's for a cause I agree with. So we need to, this is a black, bar, a mostly black barber shop that got vandalized. 
you know, so there was, I would say, almost every building downtown in Indianapolis. Uh, this is why the police were kind of setting up barriers. This is the monument that I was talking about earlier. Uh, they were setting up barriers to get into the circle, just trying to control the crowd a little bit. Um, the senator, U.S. Senator Mike Braun, they had put up some some cardboard and stuff. So, you know, these big property owners, yeah, they've got insurance, but they're going to get 60% of what was broken eight, nine months later. And so, you know, Wells Fargo Bank, they can float that, but the downtown comics guy can't. You know, it's it's just it sucks. It sucks for these guys. Uh, and, you know, I it, it, while not nearly the same tragedy as what the family of George Floyd suffered, it is a personal tragedy to those folks. And it, and it does suck. So our heart goes back out to anybody that had to go through anything. So there are some live streams. You can watch a lot of live streams of what's going on. And uh, this was actually the uh so hold on let me pull this out so this was actually downtown indianapolis and uh i'm on work youtube that's all right we'll just we'll roll with it we're already here so this is just a little bit of a flavor and i want to see if you have the impression as you walk away from this as i did people kind of standing around in this area of downtown Indianapolis as a uh, a dumpster is lit on fire. This building was starting to be lit on fire and protesters actually came and put it out. This dumpster was the five guys dumpster and that was lit on fire. The police departments couldn't actually get it to, to put it out. Um, but you know, when you're talking about, oh, these crowds are full of Antifa, which is an anti-fascist group. From the sixties like and seventies, from the sixties and seventies, where essentially, as progressive groups would hold rallies in the sixties and seventies, Klansmen and reactionaries would show up, and so they showed up to start protecting the speakers or the protesters. So it was a defensive group, and it kind of died out until I think around two thousand seven is when it was reformed in, uh, I believe, the Seattle area. And it's kind of taken hold across the nation. And it's a lot of guys who are basically, they're anti-fascist. And so they're violent against anyone they've declared to be a fascist, which is basically anybody they don't like or anybody that supports capitalism. And they're violent communist revolutionaries in their own minds. But they're usually just college kids with... V for Vendetta masks that want to burn and break shit. They're criminals. They're just petty criminals. But we're all turning them into the big boogeyman. Now the left has to do it back. And so the left is trying to position InfoWars as the great next terrorist group because uh, allegedly InfoWars supporters lit 
uh, a homeless guy's stuff on fire in an American city uh, for Infowars guys. So now everybody's going to be anybody that the left doesn't like, they're going to be Infowars terrorists, just like the Proud Boy terrorists, allegedly. So, you know, this is what a protest looks like in a downtown area in a major city. It's a lot of looky loos. It's a lot of people wanting cool selfies. It's a lot of people wanting to be part of the the happening. You know, but then it then it does escalate at points. And so these this is not just one continuing rolling spot of violence as the police come in and quell one. Everybody, the actual violent people within the crowd, they start rolling in. Uh, the, the violent people kind of move on to the next thing. And then, you know, everybody's kind of standing around taking pictures in front of the carnage. So let's kind of jump to where they're starting to break stuff at banks. Uh you know, this is this is a group of multiple different types of people, different ethnicities, mostly young, mostly under 30, it appears, you know, and they're breaking the windows on a bank in downtown Indianapolis with frozen water bottles and hammers. You know, so when I, I'm seeing Antifa, I'm not I'm just not seeing a lot of Antifa here. Right. Like, I'm not saying that they don't exist. You know, lots of rumors flying around. So this is when it kind of goes crazy. There's a little escalation here. And this is in the general area where somebody gets killed later. But these guys are all kind of standing around breaking windows, encouraging each other. And it's high school kids. I'm not doing none of that. I'm just recording everything. I have not done one thing yet. I'm just here for the recording. If y'all been watching this, it's kind of fast forward where they break into a bank. Listen to the cheering. The cheering is what jumping up and down and cheering because they broke the window. Everybody's got their phone out. They're live streaming it. So later on, somebody runs up and they're like, hey, don't hit that place. That's a small business. So at least there's some honor amongst thieves. So, uh, yeah. So let's see. Uh, I'm just reading the comments here. I'm ignorant. I know what Antifa is. I'm just not going to make them into some sort of boogeyman. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, Indianapolis is probably a lot different than the Seattle area. Let's just be honest. I mean, the people that are in, you know, the people that are in Washington, D.C. or L.A. or New York are probably facing a different crowd. But what I watched as I watched CNN last night or CBS, I mean, uh, they they had a helicopter kind of watching one area of Long Beach. And what they found was that it was a lot of peaceful protesters being beaten up by the cops in one area. And then you had people swarming so one person would break into a store and then all of a sudden there'd be a large swarm of people that would come in 
loot that store and then they'd all swarm off and then it happened again. And so it was like a cycle and they all had out of state plates. And so what I've heard time and time again across the country, especially in LA is that there is, uh, there's like, what it is is it's probably some organized network of people who are looting stores and selling stuff on eBay and Mar- and and Facebook Marketplace, uh, and it could be organized crime or it could just be you know just a bunch of friends. So, uh, yeah. So there is. I got to turn off the comments. Or I'm gonna see. Listen to this. I'm a big dummy. That's right, Daniel. Uh, yes, the system is down is a great podcast. Please go check that out. So, uh, you know, there's different angles here, right? So there's, there's the people who have legitimate protesting going on. There's people that are there for the joy ride and want to be part of it and just want to cheer when they break something because they're 18. And that's what you do when you're full of testosterone. There's people there that are, are, ideologically have basically fantasies in their heads of being, you know, the next Joker and they call themselves Antifa, you know, and then there are the, the, the people that are trying to get free stuff or make money off of the free stuff that they can steal. But to lump everybody into one group is disingenuous, just like it is to lump every cop into the same system. And I know it's convenient to say, well, if they're part of the system, they're complicit for all of the system. And there's some truth to that, but again, varying degrees, right? Like policing is not going away tomorrow. And so as we progress towards, you know, the utopian policeless society, let's, let's reform it along the way. Just like you can't say that every protester is bad. Not every black lives matter member is, I mean, I watched, I've watched so much coverage. I love, I, I watched so much coverage and time and time again, you hear reporters, police officers, mayors, other officials say there's a real difference between the violent elements of this that are Antifa, the looters, and the protesters. And we like the protesters. And then the protesters are constantly beating up on... Uh, there was literally a fight. So I was watching CBS and they encapsulated this reporter like two sentences encapsulated the last week. The police did something to provocate all the different groups. Then the protesters started yelling at the looters for diminishing their cause. The looters got mad and started fighting the protesters. And then the police tear gassed everyone. I was like, well, there's a microcosm of what's happening right now. So, uh, Let's see. Yes. So on to the next thing. I'm starting to hopefully not going to run out of gas. Um, so the president wants to get rid of Antifa and wants to uh, let me kind of diminish this a little bit. So the president wants to get rid of Antifa and wants to pass a law. Uh, he wants to d- declare them as a terrorist group, essentially. Well, it's sort of like the social media law. You know, We Are Libertarians has been demonetized, has been banned, has been punished, has been shrunk greatly by all four of the major tech giants. You know, I caught a 30-day ban before the 2018 elections because I interviewed Liberty Memes about their ban. We have been adversely affected by 
the social media laws. And through that, I got Section 230 wrong. Section 230, essentially, reason, especially Elizabeth Nolan Brown is doing great work on this. Section 230 is essentially waiving the immunity of these companies for user-generated content. And so if you make a comment on the We Are Libertarians website, if I had comments turned on, then I'm not liable for it. You know, so you essentially have the ability to have user-generated content on things like social media platforms. If you take that away, you essentially cripple all forms of user-generated content. Anything with a comment system goes away immediately. And so Trump is upset that he is being tagged with fake news. And so he wants to revoke Section 230 or change it. And so what they're going to do is just delete anybody that's a politician off the platform, including Trump, because they're going to be liable to be sued. You will no longer be able to post memes. That's copyrighted content. They could be sued for that. You effectively kill anything. Like if you're watching this on uh, one of the video streams and you're commenting on YouTube chat or Facebook chat or in a Facebook group, that's going away. That's going to be, that's not going to be functional anymore. You know, maybe not totally, but you're going to end up with less free speech because the greater censor is trying to punish the lesser censor. Again, varying degrees. Am I on the side of social media companies? Absolutely not. But Mark Zuckerberg can't compel me to use his product. I choose to use his product. He can't force me to use it. He is a private organization. Donald Trump can make me use whatever platform he wants, like buying health insurance, because he has all the guns and I don't. And so you don't want the government intervening in private businesses, telling them how to do how to. And, and, and it's provable what I'm trying to say by the fact that the government has all the force. The government has all the guns because Facebook keeps changing their business model to suit all these big tech companies keep trying to please Democrats in Congress with the threats of regulation. They keep trying to please Donald Trump with threats of regulation. If big tech were more powerful for the government, then they'd flip the finger at them, but they can't because they're not as powerful as the government. And so the thing that has more power that has the greater monopolization on force is going to be the worst censor because they can put you in jail. There was a great post by Anarcho-Christian uh, where I, I wish I had this pulled up, but basically this guy in Montana in 1918 refused to kiss the flag. And so he, go, he was sentenced by a federal judge for being seditious during World War I to 10 years hard labor for not kissing a flag. And that law in Montana was the model for the new sedition acts that Woodrow Wilson passed to force people again. And if you remember our pandemic episodes, people didn't think the pandemic was all that bad and more people died because the papers were not allowed to report the truth because it was bad for morale and it might hurt the war effort. Again, government never works. It always fails. So it's the same with Antifa. If Donald Trump had the ability to designate them as a terrorist organization, what you end up with is Donald Trump creating the ability to start monitoring regular citizens. And so without due process, 
without even probably knowing about it, without a trial, without a jury, your asset seized. They've designated you a terrorist because you've posted some Antifa memes on social media. Well, that's a violation of the First and Fourth Amendments. And so the greater censor, the greater problem is government force being used to correct a problem. You deal with Antifa through, Antifa through local law enforcement. You deal with them through... If a, if a crime is committed, then you arrest them, right? So you, you can't have this, this minority report bullshit where we, we see that you've posted a bunch of Antifa flags as your cover photo. So we're going to monitor and put you in jail indefinitely. Look up Ross Ulbricht from Silk Road. Andy McCarthy and a lot of conservatives are pushing back on this, rightly so. National Review's Andy McCarthy, who is a former federal prosecutor, said the following. President Trump and his supporters who rightly complain about the abusive surveillance of the 2016 Trump presidential campaign have recently argued that have recently argued that FISA must be reformed to make it more difficult, if not illegal, to subject Americans to national security surveillance. They insist that unless the FBI can show probable cause that Americans are guilty of crimes, the government should leave Americans alone. Yet now many of the same Trump supporters want to designate a domestic group as a terrorist organization. Since we already have a slew of criminal laws for investigating terrorists, the only point of such a designation would be to permit the surveillance of Americans in the absence of probable cause that they have committed a crime. So, I don't like Antifa. But, do I want that? Hell no! (laughs) So, you you cannot let these politicians bamboozle you because that's what they're doing. They're trying to create the meme police. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so we've come to Trump. And so the theme of this particular show has been that everything is not black and white. Everything is not flat that there are different shades of everything and that the way forward is nonviolent solutions. It is working together. It is talking together and it is rejecting power. It is rejecting the power of the state. If you are a white Texan who is mad about the hairdresser or uh, like I sit here and I look at all of these instances of the state enforcing its power on us. And I'm outraged by it because the state is robbing us of our humanity. It is stealing from us and it is killing us. And for some communities, it's at a much higher percentage and I want to fix it. And so to fix it, I first have to accept that nonviolent solutions are the only way forward. And that violence must be rejected. That patriotic appeals must be rejected. And that conserving the old ways of doing things must be reformed, if not abolished. Power, a monopolization of force, is the problem. And once you accept that nonviolence is the only proper path forward and that power is the problem, you start to see these groups and these things much differently. 
first and foremost, the very head of the entire system, the president of the United States. And Donald Trump has bamboozled so many people into thinking that he's for small government. And there are some good things that he's done. But at the end of the day, he's power hungry. He's willing to shift the Overton window to dangerous places in order to maintain power. He's willing to lie to you to maintain power. And he is the head of the snake. And what I love about Donald Trump's presidency is that he fully exposes the system for what it is. He, he tells you things like, uh, let's see, you know, Mayor Jacob Frey of, Mindy, of Minneapolis will never be mistaken for the late great General Douglas MacArthur or great fighter General George Patton. How come all of those places that defend so poorly are run by liberal Democrats? Get tough and fight and arrest the bad ones. Strength! Exclamation point. Have you ever heard of the Bonus Army? So, during the Depression, the Bonus Army was a collection of World War I veterans that camped out on Lafayette Square and MacArthur and Patton led a cavalry charge and Eisenhower led a cavalry charge on World War I veterans in 1932 on President Hoover's orders. They killed two and injured 55. So I doubt Donald Trump understands that, but it is history repeating itself because Donald Trump ordered a cavalry charge on Lafayette Square today. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, then there's this. Crossing state lines to incite violence is a federal crime, exclamation. Liberal governors and mayors must get much tougher or federal government will step in and do what has to be done. And that includes using the unlimited power of our military and many arrests. Thank you. Never mind the fact that we just lost two wars, basically, and the we have no unlimited power. But that's the commander in chief essentially saying there's no limit to what he will do to American citizens with the most powerful military in all of history. I mean, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that kind of language at all. Uh, you know, and he and he's serious about it. So as he was speaking tonight and saying the words, literally saying the words, I am an ally of every peaceful protester. At the very same moment, he federalized mounted police and they rode into Lafayette Square to divert, disperse protesters using tear gas and batons and horses. Also, he could clear a path to the church that was burning last night, which inflamed conservative Twitter. This church that presidents worship at across from the White House was on fire. The basement was on fire for about 10 minutes, but conservative Twitter was enraged. They, where is Donald Trump? Why is he not leading? Why isn't he doing anything? Why doesn't he have this under control? As if he has the ability to really get anything under control, as if he has any real power to go into cities with the military. And it turns out he does because 
this idiot, Tom Cotton, who's one of the most dangerous people in uh, in the government today, who has never he's a military veteran and he has never seen any violence that he dislikes. He says, and if necessary, the 10th Mountain, 82nd Airborne, 1st Cavalry, 3rd Infantry, whatever it takes to restore order. No quarter for insurrectionist anarchists, rioters, and looters. Well, conservative columnist David French writes, a no-quarter order is a war crime, prohibited even in actual insurrection since Abraham Lincoln signed the Lieber Code in 1863. Such an order is banned by international law and would, if carried out, be murder under American law. And so what Tom Cotton and Donald Trump retweeted agreement for this and, and, and co-signed it, what he's arguing is sending American military men into American cities to beat up all those kids that you saw breaking windows, to literally murder them, chase them down, and show them no quarter and commit war crimes on the American people. The president agreed, who has sole power over the military, with a senator. And it took this great policing of the in-group by David French to point that out. And conservatives have rightly been horrified by it. But conservatives... If I went back in 2013, and I told you that one day you would elect a president like Donald Trump, who says the things that Donald Trump says, that one day you will elect a president who uses the racist language of 60 segregationist and threatens martial law and no quarter orders and war crimes on the American people. If you were, you would lose your mind on me. How dare you call Republicans racist? How dare you call us fascists? How dare you call us authoritarians? But you've accepted this the entire time. You've let him do this. You've let him get away with it. You would have, you've let the Overton window shift. And so the problem with Donald Trump's language is, yes, Donald Trump is saying all this shit to be the law and order candidate to help his reelection efforts. But the problem is he believes this stuff. Despite what Rush Limbaugh said about him retweeting about Joe Scarborough killing someone and he doesn't believe that and he's just trying to rustle up, make liberals cry with everything he says, he is moving the right in the direction of a president having unchecked, unlimited power. He said it. He said it in a press conference during the coronavirus. Nobody can check the power of the presidency. That's what he believes. He believes he is gangster-in-chief. And I don't have Trump derangement syndrome. I have principles. I have an understanding of individualism. This is a man who looks at the military of the United States as his personal tool to punish groups he doesn't like. Groups he fully doesn't understand, nor will he make an effort to fully understand. Because it's his way or the highway, and he has the military, and you don't. He doesn't see the military men and women as people. He doesn't see the protesters as people. These are blocks. This is risk. He's moving these chess pieces and these things in a way that benefits his personal political power. And Donald Trump is doing what every major politician and every politician, really all politicians do. 
what police do, what the entire system does, because it's predicated on violence. There is no law so small that a government agent will not kill you over if you do not obey. Sitting on your front porch of your home, they will kill you over that. They shot paintballs. Thank God it was paintballs. But let's condition society enough that next time if it's not paintballs, they deserved it. I mean, you go look at the comments, the, the 1,200 comments about that video, and there are hundreds of people making excuses. They should have obeyed. They should have obeyed. They should have obeyed. I spent all of 2014 studying how Germany went from, and I know Godwin's law, but I spent all of 2014 trying to understand how a, an industrial complex society like Germany goes from where they started to where they ended. And you don't have to get the majority of the country to agree with you. You just have to get a healthy minority even to agree with you. And you propagandize society over and over and over with the same messages. Build the wall. Lock her up. Law and order. And you just repeat it over and over and over. I'm going to get this under control. Don't you worry, Mr. and Mrs. America. They are not going to get away with this. I don't know what Donald Trump believes if he believes anything other than I want power and I will use any tool to keep it. I will, I will, if I have to kill people to get reelected, I will do it. I truly think he, I truly believe he believes that. And I didn't like, I, I used to, th I used to give him the benefit of the doubt. Someone on our, our, our messages said, do you think Trump is racist? And I said, I used to not think so. But when you intentionally or unintentionally use the language of segregationists, you intentionally use language that you know is going to inflame racial tensions. And you, you use it intentionally or you use it subconsciously. I have to start to wonder about you. Like, I hate the media. I hate CNN. I hate the propaganda of major media. I talk about it all the time. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to give the person that has the monopolized force more power because I hate the media. But he beats that drum. And so people go, I don't like those guys. And this guy seems like he's with me. And he carries you along on a lazy river to a very dangerous place. And he uses patriotism to do it. And now he's suggesting war crimes against the American people. And it's not a joke. It just, he's not kidding. So, with that being said, I want you to listen to his speech tonight through the lens of power and through the lens of his worldview and his comfort with violence. View it for you through a different lens after all the conversation tonight. 
my fellow Americans, my first and highest duty as president is to defend our great country and the American people. I swore an oath to uphold the laws of our nation, and that is exactly what I will do. All Americans were rightly sickened and revolted by the brutal death of George Floyd. My administration is fully committed that for George and his family, justice will be served. He will not have died in vain. But we cannot allow the righteous cries and peaceful protesters to be drowned out by an angry mob. The biggest victim. By the way, if you hear bombs going on off in the background, that's his federalized troops. Victims of the rioting are peace-loving citizens in our poorest communities. And as their president, I will fight to keep them safe. I will fight to protect you. I am your president of law and order and an ally of all peaceful protesters. But in recent days, our nation has been gripped by professional anarchists, violent mobs, arsonists, looters, criminals, rioters, Antifa, and others. A number of state and local governments have failed to take necessary action to safeguard their residents. Innocent people have been savagely beaten, like the young man in Dallas, Texas, who was left dying on the street, or the woman in upstate New York, viciously attacked by dangerous thugs. Small business owners have seen their dreams utterly destroyed. New York's finest have been hit in the face with bricks. Brave nurses who have battled the virus are afraid to leave their homes. A police precinct has been overrun here in the nation's capital. The Lincoln Memorial and the World War II Memorial have been vandalized. So let me stop and kind of break this down a little bit. It's blocks of people. It is... It is Antifa. It is violent anarchists who are defacing your memorials and they're hurting the heroes that you love. It's not shades of humanity. It's I need to hurt the people that are hurting you. They're not hurting you. They're hurting the people that you like. Right. So. It's, uh, you know. Uh, no quarter means no prisoners, a.k.a. essentially anyone declared an enemy combatant is killed on sight. Thank you, Elliot. You want all those 18-year-old kids shot dead in the streets? Do you want Kent State? How do you think that goes? What's the end result of that? How does that help the situation? How is Donald Trump going to fix that? How is that law and order? Do you think that escalates or de-escalates the situation? Let's continue on. And just, I mean, this is an Orwellian propaganda speech for grabbing power through a crisis. And so every conservative that has quoted Rahm Emanuel needs to wake up because that's what he's doing with this speech. One of our most historic churches was set ablaze. A federal officer in California, an African-American enforcer. Have you ever heard of this church, this beloved church? Here was shot and killed. 
These are not acts of peaceful protests. These are acts of domestic terror, the destruction of innocent life, and the spilling of innocent blood is an offense to humanity and a crime against God. America needs creation, not destruction. Cooperation, not contempt. Security, not anarchy. Healing, not hatred. Justice, not chaos. This is our mission, and we will succeed. So what about his plans or justice? Let's go back. Think of war as peace. Justice. America needs creation, not destruction. We're going to go break some bodies and break some shit and have open warfare in American streets with the 82nd Airborne. Cooperation, not contempt. You're shooting at me. I hate your guts. It's the argument that we've made about the American military overseas. They hate us because we killed their uncle. Security not anarchy healing not hatred let's be honest violent gangs roving the streets imposing their will on everyone usually wear badges because they can get away with it justice not chaos this is our mission i'm sure that it wouldn't be chaotic to have the american military on streets just indiscriminately giving no quarter to prisoners and we will succeed 100%. We will succeed. Our country always wins. Sounds like a winning country. S- sounds like a success. That is why I am taking immediate presidential action to stop the violence and restore security and safety in America. I am mobilizing all available federal resources, civilian and military, to stop the rioting and looting to end the destruction and arson, and to protect the rights of law-abiding Americans, including your Second Amendment rights. Now, I'm not sure what that had to do with anything, because that, that again, was just a, a for the base. Donald Trump is president to 33% of this country. Donald Trump does not care about anybody that doesn't care about him. So he says Second Amendment as if invoking the Insurrection Act had anything to do with the Second Amendment. If anything, it's the opposite. He would say, three percenters protect your communities if he cared about the Second Amendment. Instead, he's going to do it. He's going to take power. He doesn't care about the Second Amendment. He cares about power for Donald Trump and growing the cult of the presidency. So invoking the Insurrection Act, which was passed in 1807... The Insurrection Act of 1807 was essentially like the National Guard, right? It was there to help in times. It was allowing the military to operate in the United States for relief efforts. It was not designed for this purpose. And I'm sure that people in 1807 1807 would never have imagined a nuclear arsenal, a nuclear power with drones I mean, just the the enormous military power of the United States. And we can sit here and go, the military, those guys would never do that. They have conscience. They would never kill fellow Americans. What have you learned tonight, then? 
It's the dehumanization of bureaucracy. You remove their agency. They're just following orders. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to go to jail. If you don't think that the American military, just like the militarized police force that are on all of our streets, wouldn't come in and just start shooting violent anarchists because they've been conditioned to believe that these these 18-year-old kids throwing water bottles are violent anarchists, most of these guys are, they're the guys that are on my wall on that video where they're shooting paintballs at people sitting peacefully on their porch. They're the guys saying they should have followed orders. They should have obeyed. If you think that a healthy portion of the American military is just going to follow the Constitution and protect American citizens, you're, you're out of your mind. They're going to follow their commander in chief. They're going to do what he asks them to do. Because that's what they're trained to do. And if you're in the military, I would ask you to quit. Quit your job. Do not do it. Be like that police officer who kneeled with everyone. Do not be the officer that when the smoke clears or or, or the enlisted man that is on trial for murder because a Democratic president gets elected in November and all of a sudden you're, you're on trial. Your name is synonymous because you're you're a Kent State shooter. This could this could go a really bad direction, and I know people are oh you're being hyper, hyperbolic. This is all him just being blustery. Yes, I get that, but he's getting bolder and bolder and bolder after impeachment, and he couldn't be checked. He doesn't think he he can be checked. He's probably got some polling. He's going to win. Because Biden sucks. Biden's a lesser version of Donald Trump in terms of political power and molestation and bad policies. Like, you know, we have no good choice between those two. So he's pandering. He's positioning himself. But he's also conditioning the public to think a certain way about political power. And that is a permanent thing that doesn't go away. Donald Trump dies. But the memory of it's the same argument against the lockdowns. You give them this much power, they don't give it up. And so when the Insurrection Act is now interpreted this way, that doesn't go backwards. Therefore, the following measures are going into effect Immediately. First, we are ending the riots and lawlessness that has spread throughout our country. We will end it now. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. So what he is saying is that it doesn't matter if you were duly elected by the people of Indianapolis. If he deems that you're not doing a good enough job, then he will invade your city. 
we saw how he treated Cuomo and some of these other, and the Michigan governor during the lockdowns. Just in, it's based on nothing but how they personally treat him. And so if you don't want me to send my military into your town, you better say nice things about me on TV. How is that not fascism? <laughs> like, I hate to turn into to Reinhold here. I never thought I would get to this place where I would be calling him a fascist. But if you don't agree with me and don't say nice things about me, I'm going to use the military on your city. Like, what? I mean, I hope he's just full of shit, but you can't... When somebody is the commander-in-chief and they're giving a speech about how they're going to invade cities with Democratic mayors... You don't have the luxury of hoping he's kidding. You have to check that power. You have to start say speaking up, especially if you're in the in-group. If you are a MAGA-supporting white rural American with a Trump flag out front, you need to start challenging him taking power. Because whatever power he takes, when that Barack Hussein Obama gets in, into office, you're not going to want him to have that power. I am also taking swift and decisive action to protect our great capital, Washington, D.C. What happened in this city last night was a total disgrace. As we speak, I am dispatching thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, military personnel, and law enforcement officers to stop the rioting, looting, vandalism, assaults, and the wanton destruction of property. We are putting everybody on warning. Our 7 o'clock curfew will be strictly enforced. Those who threaten innocent life and property will be arrested, detained, and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I want the organizers of this terror to be on notice that you will face severe criminal penalties and lengthy sentences in jail. This includes Antifa and others who are leading instigators of this violence. One law and order, and that is what it is. One law. We have one beautiful law. And once that... Okay, what does he, what does he mean by that? We have one beautiful law. Does he mean his word? Does he mean, like, the law is me. I am the law. Because I think that's kind of what he means. <laughs> like, if you don't understand the Byzantine snaking of laws in this country, there is not one law. The fuck is he talking about? That is restored and fully restored. We will help you. We will help your business and we will help your family. America is founded upon the rule of law. It is the foundation of our prosperity, our freedom and our very way of life. But where there is no law, there is no opportunity. Where there is no justice, there is no liberty. Where there is no safety, there is no future. We must never give in to anger or hatred. Oh, no Let's listen to this Orwellian passage again. America is founded upon the rule of law. It is the foundation of our prosperity, our freedom, 
and a very way. So America is founded on the rule of law. Essentially, what he is saying is that the rule of the government is how America exists. Without the government, you do not have a you do not have a society without us. Of life, but where there is no law, there is no opportunity. Uh, do libertarians believe that more laws make more opportunity, or do we believe that government intervention hurts things? Where there is no justice, there is no liberty. Where there is no safety, there is no future. We must never give in to anger or hatred. If malice or violence reigns, then none of us is free. I take these actions today with firm resolve and with a true and passionate love for our country. By far, our greatest days lie ahead. Thank you very much. And now I'm going to pay my respects to a very, very special place. Thank you very much. So he then goes across the street and uh, goes to this church for presumably the first time he's ever gone to this church. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the comments say they say it all. The law is obey. Literally sounds like 1984. You know, I was getting heavy doublespeak vibes. His word is exactly what he meant. You know, Dion saying he hates to agree with me. You can't. Logic is flawless. That I mean, that was Orwellian doublespeak. That was him saying, I'm taking over and I'm using the military to do it. Maybe it's temporary. Do you want to take that chance? Do you trust Donald Trump? Do you want him to have the ability to use the military in American cities because he personally disagrees with the effectiveness of the local government that you elected? That isn't how this government works. That is not the American system that we talked about at the very beginning of this episode with the Declaration of Independence. That is an invading force that is outlined In this document right here, the Declaration of Independence, and how trampled upon they were, you want to see an escalation of violence, you put the American military on American streets, commanded by Donald Trump and his propaganda arm. I mean, we're really fortunate that the three percenters, like, I'm sorry, InfoWars is not a terrorist organization. It's one drunk dude who rants on the internet and has a bunch of fanboys. The Proud Boys are just kind of a pathetic joke, too. The Three Percenters, you want to start talking about a right terrorist organization and you mention the Three Percenters, I'm with you. Uh, They terrorize people on the border. I'm amazed that those people haven't shown up to all this shit yet as a reactionary force. You know, here in my, in my hometown in Plainfield, the local gun store posted a photo of about 50 white dudes with guns standing outside of that gun store saying, we've got to protect this store because if the looters come here, then they're going to be well armed. There hasn't been looting in Plainfield. It happens in Plainfield. <laughs> There's rumors of the National Guard stationed at Avon's Meyer. These Facebook groups are just nuts. But the Bubba effect is real. Glenn Beck 
talked about this and, and Google it because we're, you know, we're way like we're almost three hours into this. But he talked about the Bubba effect. And he asked he was talking to this guy who worked at the FBI or some federal policing agency, what they game, what role playing do they do? What is the thing that they're most afraid of? And essentially the Bubba effect is the federal government calls it the Bubba effect where the armed rural American gets so disenfranchised by their government that they become basically militiamen and start doing what timothy mcveigh did and so that's like the big you know they're not worried about antifa because they have water bottles but they're worried about the three percenters showing up to downtown indianapolis tonight to take care of these kids so when donald trump starts talking and basically lying about the makeup of these protests and riots like looting is not good right we talked about that earlier but does that mean that I want American military men indiscriminately shooting and giving no quarter to a bunch of teenage kids breaking windows and looters vandalizing a target? I don't want to live in that country. Once you open some of these doors, you don't get them back. You get them back if you fight for them, but you don't want to have that discussion. You've given a lot through this pandemic. How much more do you want to give up? How much more power do you want to give to the government? How much more power do you want to give to Donald Trump? How much more power do you want to give to Joe Biden? How much more power do you want to give to your local police department? You've got to start asking yourself these questions because political power and the monopolization of force are your enemy. And it will indiscriminately kill you. So stop supporting politicians that revel in it. Stop being bought. Stop buying into the idea of patriotism as if that is somehow benefiting you in some way because it is not. It's propaganda to manipulate you. Everything Donald Trump does is propaganda. Almost everything politicians do is propaganda. You listen to talk radio, you watch CNN, it's propaganda. So what you're giving your time and attention and money to, you need to start paying attention. Apathy can no longer be tolerated. Because apathy has brought us to a point where an American president is activating the U.S. military and threatening no-quarter orders. Apathy has brought us to the death of George Floyd and a knee on his neck treating him like he is subhuman. And it doesn't get any better if we keep giving them power. So with that, I thank everybody for listening. I know this was a long one. Please recommend it to your friends. It may be a turnoff, but if you got something out of this, I would really appreciate you sharing it. I appreciate all the nice comments lately and everybody for uh, we got a several signups to our Patreon and I really appreciate that. You know, we're, we're headed in the right direction. 2020 is a big year. So if you can join our Patreon and help support us, really appreciate it. 
But the thing that I want most out of people who enjoy what I do is for you to share it with people and expand this beyond my echo chamber. So if you feel that this message tonight was good, share it with people. I know it's long. I get it. But I'm trying to lay out a case. You cannot do a prosecution of an entire ideology and break someone's Stockholm syndrome in 15 minutes. It just doesn't work like that. It comes in waves. It requires multiple hour-long shows to do. So if this was thought-provoking to you, then I would ask you to share it with people, and uh, hopefully they enjoy it. So thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you for being a part of this broadcast tonight, and I look forward to seeing you next week.